So there is a website out there. Uh, I read about it, and I went and checked it out, and it is legit. Um, it's called rentafriend.com. Started in 2009 in America. Apparently, there were some others in other countries. But in 2009, rentafriend.com went online in America. It builds itself as the largest platonic friendship website in the world. And it is not, I mean, they're very clear. It's not a dating website. It's not, you know, anything shady. But what you can do if you are lonely for $60 an hour, rent somebody to be your friend. So, I log on and I'm looking at this and I put in like Georgetown, you know, and uh, I'm looking like, you know, who could I buy for a friend? And I'm sitting there as I'm looking at it, I'm kind of impressed at like the entrepreneurial spirit of somebody, you know, that went, America's a lonely place and maybe we can connect people and I'll make some money and people will have friends and kind of impressed at that. But you, you go on and you look at people and it has their profile picture, you know, like they're 26 and 8, they can apparently probably check a lot of boxes because there's a lot of the same things like, uh, I'm interested, I'll go to the movies with you, I'll go skydiving with you, you know, I, you know, listen to you, go to comedy clubs, religious was a box. And so you check all the things, and as you're looking for a friend, you know, if you want a religious friend that likes comedy clubs, then, you, you know, you, you find that person. Uh, I did think it was kind of creepy that the 55-year-old lady had prom dates listed in her uh, section. That was a little bit odd. Um, you're really, really struggling for friends if you're taking your mom to the prom with you. So but I'm pressed because I'm going, well, somebody's talking about it. But then it's equally sad, you know, that people use this resource. And it's even weirder when you log on and you see a student that used to be in the youth ministry there renting himself as a friend. That was weird. Um, and I was like, so I actually called him because I was going, hey, does this thing work? But he won't call me back. Apparently, I have to pay 60 bucks to talk to him. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of weird that's on there. But, you know, in reality, we know we, we, need, we need friends. We do. We can't do life alone. Um, if you're married, hopefully your spouse is your best friend. But, you know, I, I know as a guy, I need some relationships that are male relationships. I need some guys to hang out with. My wife, uh, I know at least once a month, the first Friday of every month, she and a bunch of ladies, they all go to lunch together. She needs some girlfriend relationships and things like that. We need that for our teenagers, those kids that are down the hall, and it's even bigger of a need. I mean, they're in a, in a world where they're trying to figure out peer relationships and, and, and peer pressures in and having the right type of friends that, that encourage that self-esteem and encourage that development is vital. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to really lean into how to be a friend. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture I'll show you in a second. We're just going to stay in for about a month and look at it, some different pieces along the way. We talk about friends, though. It's, it is theological. It's a theological truth that we need relationships. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You go back to uh, Adam and Eve in the first couple chapters of Genesis, and, and we talk about this a lot. There's so much theology packed into those three chapters, but Adam is there, and Adam is in a relationship with God, which is fantastic. I mean, he's, he's really got God's undivided attention, and Adam's been given a job. He's named animals, and he's, he's doing all this stuff, relating with God, and God says these words to Adam. He says, hey, it's not good for you to be alone, and he creates Eve who was his wife, but also his first relationship. Eve would have, Eve would have been his best friend by default. Um, there was no other option, you know, really at the beginning. But it's a theological thing to understand that, that we are created not just for a horizontal, I mean, a vertical relationship with God, but a horizontal relationship with people. We need people. We need friends to speak into our lives. So how do we go about figuring out friendships and how do we figure out, like, how that works you know, at, at our age, hopefully we've kind of figured that along the way, but we probably all could 
learn to be a little bit a better friend. A lot of times we learn by watching other people that do it well. Last week or the week before, um, got in. I might even told you this. I don't remember. Get in and I'm about to get in the shower one day, and, I, and my, my water is like scalding hot. Like, and I'm, I, I'm turning it down and down and down. It's like into now where it would be cold, and, it, and it's still hot. And I think, okay, man, something's wrong with my water heater. So I go up and look at it. Of course, <laughs> that was a wasted effort. It's a water heater. Okay, that's all I got. And uh, my wife comes in that, that night, and she goes, hey, I think there's something wrong because the girl's shower was like super, super hot. And I said, yeah, I got to check into that because I noticed that this morning. I get up the next morning, and I can't get hot water at all. Everything's cold. So I, I, start, I get on Google, start trying to figure out, and figure out there's probably something wrong with the thermostat, or um, I have hard water where we live, and it said, you know, hard water can build up and just kind of short out the thermostat. And, and so I start looking at how to fix it, and all of, the, all of the details on Google are like, you know, it's like 220 volts and electricity, and I'm like, uh, pass. My, my kids need a dad. I don't need to do this, you know. And so... I posted up on Facebook, Twitter, and said, hey, does anybody know a good plumber? Because I, I haven't used a plumber. And I get a name from a guy, call their company, and uh, we schedule an appointment. They come out. And so they're, they're looking at it, and I'm talking to them. And uh, the guy tells me, um, he says, okay, so when was the last time, you know, when was the last time you drained your water heater? And I went, what does that mean? And uh, he said, you, you know, you hook up a hose and you drain it. You're supposed to do it once a year. And I said, well, it's been at least five and a half then, because this is the first time anyone's made me aware of this. I didn't know, you know, I'm not a handyman. I didn't know that. And he's like, okay, this thing's going to be shot with this hard water. And he said, so I can go in and pull out these things. He's telling me a little about it. And he goes, I can pull it out. It's going to be like $323 if I do that. Um, a whole new water heater is going to be about 1000 bucks." And he said, but if I go in and start pulling it out and it's messed up, you know, I, I, you just have to decide what you want me to do. And so I asked him, I said, so like if you go in and you pull it out and you go, oh, that's not fixable, it cost me $300 plus the $1,000? And he goes, yes. I'm thinking, I don't think it's supposed to work that way. You know, I mean, just you're telling me that it should be $300 to go, nope. So they get it, they get it fixed. They get it, I mean, not fixed. They get the, it reset and the switch going. So we have some hot water and knowing that I'm going to have to figure this thing out. So what I do when I know that I'm in for $1,000 or $1,300 I call Uncle Pete. I don't know if you have an Uncle Pete. He's my uncle. He's not yours, but you might have an Uncle Pete who just happens to be a plumber. I didn't call him at first because he lives in Colleen, and what he does is um, like he put in UCLA, one of the UCLA's buildings plumbing and like hooks it to the sewer. I mean, he's not like a, a you know, come to your house and fix your water heater plumber. He's a put the plumbing in this building and make it all work plumber. But I thought, man, if I'm in for this amount of money, I'm going to call him and let him come out and do it, and I'll pay him. So I call him. He says, yeah, I'll come down. And so while he's there, I'm, I'm standing by him, and I'm learning. He's teaching me these things. He's like, this, this is what the guy did. And he says, yeah, the, it, he shouldn't be charging you 300 bucks and then 1000 I mean, I can tell you right now. We can fix this. And, and so he's going through telling me all this stuff. Here's where you plug in the hose. Here's how you drain it, idiot. Um, you know, and here's how we do it. And I'm like, okay, and here's how get some air going into it. And so, I mean, I'm like, I'm mentally taking notes for when I'm going to do this, but I'm also sitting there learning and he's, he's teaching me, hey, you know, here's where these coils are and this is what they look like. He pulls them out and shows them they had some buildup on them, but the heat, water heater was fine. I didn't have to replace it. But he just showed me, hey, we're going we're gonna to replace this and it's going to be good to go. So I'm soaking in from the expert, right? I mean, that, that was that was very educational for me. I still am not going to try to fix my water heater the next time, but I know so much more about how to fix it, to, to, the, the right questions to ask, understand, because 
I spent some time around listening to an expert, someone who was very good at the subject. That's kind of how we have developed our friendships and how we've developed how to be a good friend. You might have had someone along the way that threw you a surprise party for your birthday or going away party or something like that. And, and you were so touched by that moment that, you know, that friendship kind of just rose up in your mind like, man, what a great friend that did this for me. And man, I really felt loved and blessed that somewhere along the way you filed that in the back of your mind that, you know what, the people that I love, if I throw a surprise party for them, they'll feel the way that I felt. And you've possibly gone out and done the same thing for someone else down the road. Or you had a friend that was just great at praying for you. And you knew that if you went to them and said, hey, I've got this, could you pray for me? That they're the friend that's going, absolutely, I will. In fact, let's do it right now. And they prayed for you right then and there. And then you saw them, write it down somewhere. And then two weeks later, they texted you or called you and said, hey, give me an update. And you filed that away in your mind as that is a fantastic friend. And you thought, man, I I want to do that more. I want to be able to, somebody asked me to pray a friend, I want to bless them and be that type of friendship because that mattered to me. Or you have a friend that listens, great. You know, that's, they're your go-to person when you just need to vent something. You know, your teenagers have wrecked the house and you're ready to kill one of them and their grades are low and you're like, I've got to talk to somebody about this or I'm going to murder a child. And, and so that, it's that person you call and they listen and, and you feel heard and, and you hang up the phone going, man, that, I'm so glad they're a friend in my life. You file that away in your mind and you go, that's, that's the type of friend I want to be to people. That's how we learn. We learn from watching people who do it very well. So for the next four weeks, we want to look at the master of relationships, the one who created them all. And we're going to look at what Jesus said. I want you to go to John chapter 15. And we're going to lean into a conversation that Jesus is having with some of his disciples. We actually looked at one of these passages of Scripture with our students uh, this week. We just looked at it from a different perspective and read it pretty quickly. But John chapter 15, let's start, let's start in verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now he's going to move in and talking about these relationships to these guys that he's now calling friends. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So four weeks, we're just gonna kind of sit here and we're gonna reread it back over. By the time we're done with this series on friends, you'll, you'll be very uh, well acquainted with this passage of scripture, but we're gonna go back through and take it a lot slower. And so this morning and this week, as you're talking with your students, I just want us to kind of rest on verse 12. It's all we're going to talk about this week. It's actually going to be the memory verse for this series. If you practice that at home with your students, we practice it in our our small groups. Verse 12 is going to be our memory verse for the next month. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. I I feel like we can read that and I can kind of set the Bible down and we can go about our business. There's not much commentary needed, right? I mean, that's, it's pretty clear. I mean, we don't really need to go through and go, hmm, 
What do you think Jesus meant? I mean, Jesus, if we, maybe we need to go back to the historical context and, and figure out historically what Jesus meant when he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. I mean, it's just simple. Great friends love like Jesus does. If you're going to be a great friend to your peers, to a spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, if you're going to be a great friend, great friends love like Jesus loves. And that, that's what he says. And that's not a surprise to us. We know that. In fact, if, if you go to work tomorrow or you're in your neighborhood or you even have somebody who is, is not a believer, they're not interested in, in church things at all, if you kind of ask them, hey, tell me in your very limited knowledge what Christianity is about, what is Jesus, maybe you need to ask what Jesus stands for, probably pretty quickly in a conversation about Jesus, they're going to come and say to you, even a non-Bible Belt person, well, I know that you're supposed to love. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. In fact, it's because of that that I think that some people have such a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the church, not just ours or any church, because in their, in their mind they know, hey, this is supposed to be the most loving group of people. They're supposed to love each other. And I go to church and people tell me to get out of their seat, you know, and people judge me because of the way I'm dressed, or people, I say something and I'm not used to their, their church talk and I said something that was a little inappropriate. I could tell by, as soon as I said it, that people were looking at me and I was not welcome there. And they've seen you interact. Now, I'm not talking about you guys. I mean, they've seen Christians interact with other Christians and, and they've gone, I, I just don't see love, but I know even kind of on a, on a ground level, not, not even a whole lot, I know that they're supposed to love. And Jesus is pretty clear. I mean, he uses this word, and he says greater, um, that, that you love one another. It's the word, you, if you've been in church ever before, you've probably heard it at some point. It's the word agapao, or, or we say agape a lot of times. And, and what this picture of this word is, it is not a romantic love. It's not even like a friendship love. It's the love that a, that a it's a deep and constant love that a perfect being has for a totally unworthy person of that affection. That's, that's the picture of it. it we, we talk about being unconditional a lot of times. It is unconditional love. But think about how strong that love is. It's the love that comes from a perfect being. And it is deep and it's constant. And it's poured out on somebody or, some, or people who are utterly unworthy of that love. That's the best picture of what this word means. That's a heavy, that's a heavy standard right there. Because that means, that means that when somebody betrays you, that means when a friend turns their back on you, that means when a friend doesn't meet you halfway, if you have Jesus' love for them, you love them in such a way that it compels them to love other people still. That's hard to do. Because we want relationships, we want relationships that work both ways, and, and good relationships do. You know, in a husband and wife, Scripture talks about we're supposed to be mutually submissive to each other. We each hold each other's up. I'm going to serve you 100. percent I'm not going to meet you 50 50. I'm going 100. percent And when your spouse says, you know what, I'm not going to love you 50 50 or meet you in the middle, I'm going to go all the way. Then you have a pretty fantastic marriage. And, and friendships should work that way too. But Jesus says, here's how you be a great. Here's how to be a great friend. You love like I love, and I love like a perfect being loves constantly and deep for people who don't deserve it whatsoever. That is the goal that you're supposed to have as a friend. And the truth is you can't, you can't change the way your friends are. You can't change the relationships you have with people you meet. The only person you can focus on is you. 
Now, I love the, the wisdom that I've heard people say, and I love to tell teenagers this too, or especially young adults that are thinking about marriage and they're, they're, they're looking for the perfect spouse. And that, that good wisdom that says, hey, stop looking for the perfect future spouse and be the perfect future spouse. You can't control them. Stop looking for the perfect friend, the friend that does everything the way that you like it, because you can't, but you be the perfect friend. You be the friend that loves like Jesus does, because that's what great friends do. There's a guy named Dr. Robert Smith. He's a pastor, and he has a, a, a tragic story. He had a, an adult son who was 34 years old. He worked at a restaurant, and, and Dr. Smith said, I'll, I'll never forget the day. It was October 30th when we got the phone call that four young men, 17, 18 years old, had gone into the restaurant where my son worked to rob the restaurant. And so they got back to the safe, and they had people on, you know, held down by gunpoint, and they ended up jamming the safe and couldn't get it open. They went to the cash register and jammed the cash register as well. And they looked at Robert Smith's son, and they said, get this cash register open. And he struggled and couldn't do it. And when they realized that the game was up, three of them took off before the cops got there. One 17-year-old boy stood up on the counter, fired one shot that hit Robert Smith's son, and he died. And Robert Smith said, I've never forgotten that day. Obviously, you couldn't. Kid was convicted. He went to prison. And Robert Smith said as he just was journeying with Jesus, he felt compelled to write the kid a letter. And he wrote him a letter, told him that he had forgiven him, told him that he would love to visit with him, he'd love to build a relationship, he'd love to be on his visitation list. He sent the letter, he never heard back for two years. And two years later, a return letter came in the mail. And the young man basically said, I apologize for taking so long to write you, but I mean, several of your family members have sent me you know, death threats and it's, it's just been, it's been a journey for me. He started talking about the spiritual journey that he had been on and asked to be reconciled. And Robert Smith said, it was the, one of the most difficult journeys of my life to walk that walk of forgiveness. He said, but more than anything else, I wanted to know that that young man who took the life of my son would spend eternity with me in heaven. And God began to work on me and challenge me to become a person who forgives and put kingdom things above my feelings. Now that is a great picture of loving deep and constantly in a way that a perfect being does for somebody that doesn't deserve it at all. And God willing, you'll never have a story like that. I mean, let's hope. But you're going to have some stories along the way, and you probably already do. You might even have somebody in your mind right now who's wronged you or betrayed you. They've been somebody that they just haven't been a good friend, and you've done what most of us would do, what I would lean towards doing, kind of washing my hands from them and going, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm done. But Jesus commands us. You see that very first part of that verse in verse 12? This is my commandment. That word means that the full authority of the person giving it, which is God himself, it is my commandment with my full authority that I tell you that this is how you're supposed to be. And we read over this passage of Scripture, like we read through verse 12, and it seems so simple, and it is, but it's so heavy that we are commanded. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Commanded by the eternal God to love people like he does. Simple to understand. Extremely hard to do. Oscar Thompson is an author. I wrote a book called Concentric Circles of Concern that kind of transformed the way I thought about evangelism when I was a young guy. And he talks about love, and he says simply this. He said, love, in my definition, is just meeting needs. It's an easy definition. If we take that definition, here's what Jesus says to us. I command you to meet your friend's needs like I've met yours. 
Man, that's heavy stuff. Because the need I had, the need I had was for wholesale change in my life that I couldn't do. I needed sin eradicated from my life. I needed God to step in and bring joy and peace and hope and, and love and all of that fruit of the Spirit in my life. I couldn't do that on my own. And that's the need that Jesus met for me. Now, that's a supernatural meeting. You're not going to be able to do that for your friend other than in, in introducing them to Jesus. But we need to be a great friend and love them like Jesus loves us. So here are a couple things to think about. I'm going to give you some things that you can do to take this concept, which is easy to understand, hard to do, and to put it into practice. So here's the first thing I want to suggest to you. I'm going to suggest that this week, and you might even do this as a family, and actually say this week, you'd have to start this week. This probably take you a month or so, which automatically makes people go, I just don't have time for that. Get a journal, spiral notebook of some sort, and pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and commit either on your own as a family. I'm going to read through this gospel, and I'm going to read, and as I read the gospel slowly, some verses each day, a chapter each day, in this journal, I'm going to write down every observation I have about how Jesus interacted with his friends. And write down everything that Jesus said to his friends. I'm going to write down the things that he did. And I'm going to take, take my time walking through a gospel to see how Jesus did it. That's, that's a, that's a bar-raising application. And I mean, I, I understand that. But what if it had great value to it? We talk about being a great friend and Jesus says, love how I love. What does that look like? How do we know how Jesus loved? I mean, we know from our own experience. We might have heard a sermon or two along the way. We might have listened to a podcast. Maybe God spoke to us through a song about how Jesus loves. But there's no better source than if we're going to love like Jesus does, to go and look and go, Jesus, how did you love people? The friends that you came alongside of, the people, how did you treat them? What did you say to them? What were your expectations? How did you meet their needs? And, and begin to journal those things right and see what common themes keep coming up. And then, boom, you've got your next application. Go do that because Jesus said, I command you, love your friends like I love them. I know if you've heard the story of Mel Fisher. I was intrigued by it. Mel Fisher uh, grew up in Indiana as a kid reading Robert Louis Stevenson books, Treasure Island, adventure stuff, typical kind of young guy. And always had this, this dream to treasure hunt, but he lived in Indiana, and there wasn't Treasure Island anywhere around Indiana. But he began to just love the water, and he actually, as a young adult, built uh, his own, uh, I don't know what they call it, they called it a hard hat suit, but basically like a diving suit, so that he could go down to the bottom of the lagoon that was near his house and, and walk around on the muddy ground underwater, and just fell in love with water and that type of stuff. Later, as he got older, he moves to California, gets married. They set up the, the, one of the very first dive shops there ever was. And this guy was a pioneer when it came to scuba diving. He trained over 65,000 people how to scuba dive. He was one of the first pioneers to, to do underwater movies and film things, not, not like for Hollywood, but like documentary type things and show things. His wife was very much into, you know, the diving world and the underwater world. At one point, I don't know if she still holds the record, but she had the record for the female who stayed underwater the longest, 55 hours. So, I mean, these people love the water, right? have their own dive shop. They go there, they leave California, and they go out to the Florida Keys, and as they're out doing, they not, not, haven't moved yet. They're just, you know, on a vacation or whatever. They meet a guy who has committed his life to finding some 18th century Spanish ships that have sunk somewhere off of the coast of, of Florida because there's supposed to be great treasure there. And as this guy is telling his story, 
Mel Fisher's heart starts beating fast. I mean, his dream of being a kid, of, of being in the water and finding treasure is kind of coming full circle. And the guy says this. He says, listen, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have anything to offer. But whatever, whatever we find, I'll split with you 50-50. And so Mel Fisher and his wife made the commitment, we're going to move to the Keys for a year, just one year. They didn't work. They made no money and spent a year diving, looking for this treasure. Empty. Nothing. For 360 days out of the 365. I mean, you can't tell a movie, make, make a movie better than this. He invented this thing that he called the mailbox. And what they would do is they would go down to the, the seafloor where the sand and, the, and, and you know, the, the bottom had just accumulated over years. And, and this, this device he invented called the mailbox would take fresh water from near the surface and it would blow it down into the, the, the ground and blow the sand out so you could you know, see deep. Five days before their year commitment is up, they get the mailbox down and boom, 1,300 gold coins. Could you imagine how, ama- how, how amazing that would be? And he said, once you've seen gold at the bottom of the ocean, you're hooked. And so for nearly the next 20 years, Mel Fisher searched around the Keys for treasures, looked for the, the old Spanish ship, the Atocha, that was supposed to have you know, millions of, of dollars worth of bounty. It was a difficult journey. His son and daughter-in-law and one of his best friends died in a boating accident while they were working with him trying to help find. A bilge pump broke on their boat and they sunk and they, and they drowned. Lost family members. Spent nearly two decades of his life every day looking and nothing and looking and nothing and looking and nothing. And then on July 20th, 1985, his son who was working with him sent a radio message up that says, we found it. Forty tons of gold and silver bars. Yeah, right? 144,000 silver coins, other gold coins, Colombian emeralds, $450 million worth of treasure. Who wants to go to the Keys with me, right? I don't even scuba dive, but that would be fantastic. My point is this. We read his story and we get our imagination going about what would have that been like to find this Spanish ship and to find all this treasure and to come up uh, with a, a, a Colombian emerald, to figure out how to get 40 tons of gold and silver to the surface. And we go, man, that would be cool. Why doesn't that ever happen for me? Because you haven't spent two decades looking. I mean, that, that's rule number one. But here's the point. Taking a gospel an entire book of the Bible, and slowly reading it from start to finish and journaling the things that you see about Jesus and how he relates to people and figuring out how to be a great friend who loves like Jesus loves is going to be difficult. And you're going to have two options. You can sit around and listen to the stories of the people who've done it and experienced the treasure, or you can go deep and find the treasure yourself. Application is not an easy one. But if we're going to be great friends and we're going to love like Jesus does our peers, if we're going to teach our teenagers how to do that, we're going to have to go deep. We can't have this this cheap, quick, fast food spiritual life. You've got the word of God. You've got Jesus and and what's been recorded about his life. We've got to journey and go deep. Here's the second thing that you can start doing now. Because if you you take on that gospel trip, again, it's going to take you a while. 
Here's something you can do tonight, though. When you go home tonight, or like you went to the winter retreat and you go home and lay down at like one o'clock, um, reflect on one friendship, one person in your life. Like it could be a neighbor, it could be like one of your best friends. Think back on yesterday or the last time you were with them, the last week or so ago. And now that that has happened, reflect back and ask yourself this, how could have I loved them like Jesus did then? And don't turn that into just a one-time thing. For the next week, every time you lay your head down or maybe it's when you're driving, find some kind of cue in your life that says, hey, when this happens, I'm going to spend some time reflecting. And spend a couple of times or at least one time a day for the next seven days or the next two weeks reflecting back on how would Jesus have loved them. Now, here's what's going to happen when you do that. As you start wrestling through that, and hopefully you're praying through that, what you're going to find is the Holy Spirit is going to start speaking. And you're going to be made aware of, man, you could have done this or you should have done that. And guess what's going to happen? The next time you're with that friend that you've been praying about and you've been thinking about and you've been kind of putting through the lens of how would Jesus do this, you're going to be much more inclined to be thinking about how I can love them like Jesus loves them. And guess who will become a great friend? You will. And remember, you can't control them, but you can be you and be that great friend. I want to close with this, and then I'm going to give you some time in your small groups. I'll tell you just stories about three guys. And th- these guys are incredible. They are what we would call modern-day superheroes. Here's a picture of the first guy. This guy's name, I gotta look back at these guys. I'm laughing because I've read these stories. This guy calls himself the Dark Guardian. He dresses up like this. He, he knows martial arts, and he goes out into his neighborhood where he lives. I actually saw a video of this where he confronts a drug dealer who, I'm not kidding, was like 6'7 or 6'8. And he's like, in his little outfit, looking at him, going, We're videotaping you selling drugs. You should leave. And the guy's like, get out of my face, you know, and, but he ends up leaving. But this guy goes out, and according to the story about him, he dresses up like the Dark Guardian, goes, and he's broken up muggings, he's broken up fights, he's tried to run drug dealers out of his neighborhood, and this is literally what the story about him says. He will identify a drug dealer in the neighborhood, sneak up on him, which <laughs> can't be a good idea, sneak up on him, jump out, shine a flashlight in his face, and yell, this is a drug-free park. That's the worst superpower there has ever been. <laughs> the absolute worst. I mean, this guy's lucky he's still alive, but, but that's, that's what he does on the weekend. So that's the dark guardian. Then we got this guy named Phoenix Jones. That is a bulletproof vest or bulletproof, and bulletproof chest plate, and he has body armor. And he goes through his neighborhood fighting crime like the dark guardian does. Third guy. This guy, his name is The Shadow. <laughs> I think all three of them are single. I don't know what tells me that. It's just my guess. <laughs> the Shadow has studied for years ninjutsu so he can be a ninja. The guy literally has an earpiece that he wears that amplifies sound so that he can listen for bad guys when he's on the street. And as the story goes, stopped a carjacker by throwing nunchucks at him. And then, I don't know how this happened, tied the guy to a telephone pole with his legs until the police got there. I don't even know what that looks like. And it's not just these three. Where I was looking, there was a ton of other guys that have equally as ridiculous outfits. They go out and they fight crime. Now, here's what happened. I mean, they didn't tell the story. I know what happened. They grew up like me reading Batman comics and Superman comics, and they grew up going, I want to be a hero. 
and they were just crazy enough <laughs> to do it. Where the rest of us would go, you know, no, I mean, at night, people still might see me wearing this outfit, you know, and so no, I can't do that. But they, they had a hero, and here's what they decided, I'm going to do the very best I can to mimic that hero. I want to be Batman. I want to be Spider-Man. I want to be somebody that, that has been heroic and changes the world, and they've gone and done it. When Jesus says, love like I loved you, that's all he's asking us to do. Not dress up like this, but to mimic him. To look at Jesus and go, Jesus, you are the type of hero to me that causes me, compels me to want to be like you. And when Jesus, you give me the command that says to go and love like you've loved me, I'm all in. A deep and constant love from a perfect being to a beneficiary that doesn't deserve it at all. That's the real picture of what agape love is. That's what we've been called to do. So this week, I mean, you're going to talk right now. A few seconds, remember, it's, it's going to be the, look like the old yap. Just scroll down. And talking through this, don't just focus on your kids. Your kids need you to speak into their life to help them figure out how to love their friends like Jesus loves. You know what would also be a good conversation? If you've got more than one kid in your home, helping your kids learn to love their siblings like Jesus does. Amen? All right? But not just that. Let's model it for them. Let's let them see us love our friends or if you're married, a spouse, like Jesus loves. And what you'll find out is you will become a friend magnet. I'm gonna pray for us and let you talk.